Wonderful. Okay, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump in today. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 11 today. We are uh, in the middle of a series that we've entitled Jesus Is. Uh, Refresher for many of you, this is the whole purpose for this series is we're going through the gospel according to the Apostle John. Okay, Jesus is arguably closest friend on earth. This is a man who lived life with Jesus for, for, for several years. He was an eyewitness to, to, to Jesus' ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. Uh, and, the, and John is really, he's really adamant at the end of this gospel account of why he wrote this down. Okay? He wrote it down because he wants the reader to believe that this man, Jesus, is actually God in the flesh come to save his people. So if you're anything like me, uh, you can kind of tend to get in this space where we lose sight of the fact that like the, the Bible, that these writings, that it's like it's, it's real. Okay? You, can, you, can, you, can, you can disagree with the statements in the Bible, but these things are real. Like These accounts are are, are real men and women who, are, who have seen it with their eyes um, and are now writing it down for the world to hear their account, their eyewitness account. That's what the Gospel of John is all about. It's all about Jesus. He wants people to understand who Jesus is, what he's done, what that means for them, and that they would believe that Jesus is God in the flesh come to save his people. So that's, God, that's John's agenda. We've been going through this Gospel now for, gosh, what is it? This is week 34 Okay, and we kind of taken a couple of breaks in between for different reasons, but we've been going through this because we're convinced that what you and I believe about Jesus is the most important thing in our life. Because what you believe about Jesus, it will influence, and dare I say it will, um, it, not just influence, it literally determines your behavior. What you think and what you believe about Jesus determines your behavior, and therefore your behavior shows what you think and believe about Jesus, it's kind of this connected thing. And we want to be a church. We're, we're a church plant, guys. We're a, we're a forming community. We're an infant baby um, community with Jesus at the center. And we want to be a church that consistently believes in Jesus. Not just that he existed, but we believe what he said, that he's our teacher. He's not just our Lord. He's not just our Savior, but he shows us how to live the, the, the fully human life. So that's why we're in this series, okay? So John chapter 11, hopefully you're there, by your, there in your Bibles by now. Um, how many of you guys are not stoked on the weather we've been having? Let me see your hands. Okay, so many of you, okay? You frustrate me, and here's why. I like wearing sweaters just as anybody else. I like it when it's crisp outside just as much as anybody else. I don't have any problems with that, okay? But only Southern Californians will complain about beautiful sunny weather in, in November, only something kind of worse. I'm on, I'm on the phone with my, like my close friend. He lives in Nashville. I'm on the phone with him this last week, and he's like, dude, it's 17 degrees here. And he's like, it is so cold. It's so awful. And he's like, and it's only November. And he's like, how's it there? <laughs> and I'm like, it's like 78 degrees. I'm in shorts right now while we're talking and like, you know, sandals. But listen, only Southern Californians have the audacity to complain about beautiful, sunny weather in November. And the reason I bring that up is because, hear me out, like, this says something about us. It says something about us. It says that we prefer our timing over God's timing. Remember we talked about, like, what we believe about Jesus is demonstrated in our actions. You can kind of tell both by, like, assessing our actions, what we say, what we do. 
We like our timing. We prefer our timing over God's timing. And I know that none of us would say this, but like, I think God knows how to operate the seasons better than we do. And there's nothing wrong with like, oh, I'm looking forward to it getting crisp and cool outside and cuddling up next to the fire and all those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's this idea of God's timing. I think we question God's timing quite a bit. And it's funny because this idea of like the season's changing and, and I just, the reason I, that I brought that, uh, that example is I've just heard so many people over the last two weeks just like kind of borderline upset about the sun being out in November, you know? But what does that say about us and how we prefer our timing over God's? It's funny, Daniel chapter two talks about how it's God who changes the seasons. Like he has a purpose for when and how he changes the seasons. And it got me thinking about like my life and it got me thinking about the lives of the people I care about and how oftentimes, like at least sometimes I'll find myself, I'm not gonna put it on you, but I, I suspect that you're like me, where I'm not happy with the season of life I'm in. And really, I'm not happy with how God is playing things out in this season. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not happy about his, his timing, whether it's your career. It, it should be further along than it is right now. Like, I'm, dude, I'm, come on. Like, God, where are you at with here? I should be advancing quicker, further, farther. Maybe it's not your career. Maybe it's just romance. And that, that goes for singles and marrieds. I'm not stoked on the season that I'm in. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's not your health. Maybe it's the health of a loved one. God's timing this season. I'm not stoked on it. We're going to read in John chapter 11. We're actually going to read the whole chapter today. And John chapter 11 is this famous story about Jesus. But it's a story. It's all about God's timing. It's all about God's timing and how it, isn't all, it doesn't always make sense to us at least not at first. So, John chapter 11. I'm gonna pray for us, and as we read this, I want you to think about timing. And I want you to think about how the timing that God exhibits doesn't always make sense to us at first, but I promise as we read to the end, it will make sense, okay? Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your grace that covers us. I pray just right now, Holy Spirit, that you would kind of help all of us to pause and breathe. like to just be present in the moment, to not be distracted. If cell phones buzz or make noise, we can let it go. Like we really want to hear from you this morning. We don't want to be people who rush through life, who miss you in the moment, who miss out on your presence. Holy Spirit, we need you. We, we actually don't know how to be human, and our actions show that. So would you teach us this morning? Would you show us? We all need you. And I'm thankful that you're available to us. So we look to you now. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me to serve and, 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 and love these people. I want to honor them and honor you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Okay, so John chapter 11. We're going to read through the whole thing. Okay, it's like 46 verses. So buckle up. I'm going to kind of read a bit, talk a bit, read a bit. Okay, but stay with me. Here we go. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen for you. I'm in the Christian Standard Bible. Here we go. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
Mary was the one who anointed the Lord, that's Jesus, with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. Okay, really quickly, it's talking about Mary here really quickly. Do you guys know the story? Raise your hand if you know the story that he's referring to here about, about her like wiping his feet and anointing him with perfume. Okay, here's what's crazy. You know that story. Some of you do. Some of you don't. That's totally fine. The reader of John would not have known that story if they had only read John because this story comes up in chapter 12 of John. So we're in chapter 11. He's referencing a story that comes from chapter 12. How, why would he do that? Here's why. Because John was the last of the four gospel accounts, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. John was the, the last one, the fourth one that was written. And in the previous gospel accounts, this story of, of Mary, of her anointing Jesus' feet and, 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 and washing them with, um, with her hair, this story was famous. How do we know? Really quickly, I want to turn you to um, turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 13. Matthew's gospel account, he's talking about this same story. This is what he says about it. This is Jesus' um, uh, yeah, this is, this is Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 13. This is talking about the story with, with Mary. It says, truly I tell you, this is Jesus' words, by the way. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she, Mary, has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay, so, so before John ever penned this gospel account, there was other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? So those gospel accounts include this story. And in Matthew, Jesus himself says, this act that Mary's doing right now, the whole world's gonna know about this. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, they're gonna know about this story. They're gonna know about what this woman Mary did in faith and in worship and in devotion to Jesus, okay? So John's giving us context for who this person Mary is. Let's keep going, verse three. So the sisters, that's Mary and Martha, right? They sent a message to him, Jesus. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Remember, they're talking about their, her, their brother Lazarus, okay? And they said, the one that you love, Jesus, he's sick. Verse four, when Jesus heard this, he said, listen to this, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Okay, so really quickly, we have this message that comes to Jesus, okay? And it didn't come as like a text message. This is before cell phones, obviously, before internet. So how do you think this message got to Jesus, this message about his loved one, Lazarus, being sick? A messenger of some sort, some person went from Bethany, where they were, to where Jesus was and let him know that his friend, his beloved friend Lazarus, was sick, okay? And then Jesus gets this message, and what's his reply? He says this. He says, the sickness is not going to end in death, but the purpose is to glorify God, right? Here's what I want you to consider. Who would have heard Jesus audibly saying this reply? The messengers, absolutely, right? And also his disciples. We'll get to them in just a second. So he receives a message. Lazarus is sick. And he responds to that message, both to the messengers and the people around him, his disciples. Hey, this sickness will not end in death. Its purpose is for the glory of God. You with me? Hold that in your pocket, okay? Now it also says something bizarre here. It said that he waited two more days. Like he delayed. 
um, his friend is really sick and he waits two more days to go to him. Um, have you ever received a phone call and when you get that phone call, you instantly know like something bad has happened? You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, I've only gotten a few of those phone calls in my life and I hate them. They're the worst. I remember before Ebony and I were married, I got one of those kind of phone calls and the person on the other li- on the end of the, end of the line was an employee at In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> and what the employee was letting me know was that Ebony had just had a panic attack and a seizure. She was uh, an employee at In-N-Out as well. So she's on, she's on the phone with me. I've never met this girl before, but she's like, hey, Ebony wanted me to tell you um, she just had this kind of gnarly panic attack um, at work and then it, it, it progressed into a seizure, and uh, we called the ambulance, and she wanted me to call you. Um, so just wanted to let you, you know. Okay, so what do you think I did? I instantly got in my car, and I drove down to In-N-Out to go intercept her, see what she's okay. Like, I just had to see her. And as I pull up to the parking lot, I can literally see her feet getting put, like, I, all I saw was her feet in the ambulance that closed the door. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm just praying. God, please, like, let her be okay. And so I'm, f- I'm following this ambulance on the freeway, the whole thing, right? And if, have you ever followed an ambulance before? Okay, if you've never followed an ambulance before, um, if there's any EMTs in the room, I kind of have, have, a, have a, a request. Typically, when I follow, when I follow ambulances, <laughs> typically, if I'm following an ambulance they have blinds on the back of the windows. And typically, historically, if I've ever been behind an ambulance, those blinds are open. And I don't like that they're open because you might be having a perfectly good day and then you, you, know, you get behind an ambulance, the blinds are open, and you see someone's going through something traumatic and awful and terrible back there and you're like, I'm in a red light and I can't, I can't unsee this. This is hard. I'm following Ebony thinking, oh, they're going to have the blinds open. There's no blinds open. So I'm still, my, again, my imagination's running wild. What is going on? What, is she going to be okay? And <clears throat> I remember we, we pulled up to the hospital and she got out. And by that time, they had calmed her down and she was fine. She was okay. The reason I tell you that story is because when I got word that a loved one was like essentially sick or something had happened, you know what I didn't do? I didn't wait two days. I didn't delay. I went right away. Jesus delayed. We talked about God's timing, right? That doesn't make sense to me at first glance. God's timing doesn't always make sense, okay? He delayed. We're going to come back to this. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Then, after that, He said to the disciples, so after he's waited two days, he's got the message, he's given back the message from him. He said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again. Okay, really quickly. They're basically saying it's dangerous. They're afraid. We do not want to go back to Judea. Judea, when we were there, the Jews tried to kill you. We're with you. Like, are you, you say you want to go back to Judea? That doesn't sound, that danger, fear, okay? Verse nine, Jesus says this. Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered. 
If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Okay, really quickly, this is like a whole other sermon altogether, but I want to just give you quick what this means, okay? Jesus here, he's referring to himself again as the light of the world. If you remember with us in John chapter eight, he talked about himself being the light of the world, okay, that, that he is the source that reveals truth to, all, to everyone. He's the light of the world. So he's referring to himself as the light of the world again. And basically what he's doing is he's equating not following God with stumbling in the darkness. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 11. <clears throat> he said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. In other words, why do we have to go back to that dangerous place, Judea? Okay, verse 13. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, that's what his name means, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. Really quickly, these disciples are not stoked to go back to Judea. Why? Because they're afraid, okay? They're not stoked to go back. <clears throat> they thought, like, why would we risk our lives to go back there? If, why? Because in their mind, going back was just too risky. Question for you quickly. What's more risky? Trusting Jesus and following him or not? What's the riskier move? Trusting Jesus and following him or not trusting Jesus and not following him? Pause for a second. What is it like? Is this, is this is the spirit bringing anything to your mind right now? Like Jesus, he, he's the most incredible, beautiful person ever, and he also says some things that at first cause us to go, "Whoa, dude!" What's more risky, like trusting him and following him, or not? When Jesus says, "Hey, forgive," no matter what, forgive. He goes as far as to say, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. So what's more risky, trusting Jesus and following him or not? We live in a beautiful part of Southern California um, that is exponentially more wealthy than the rest of the planet. So every single one of us, whether we believe it or not, whether you, um, regardless of where you think you are on the scale, like all of us are going to struggle with greed to one degree or another because of the reality with which we live. Is it more risky to trust and follow Jesus or to not trust and not follow Jesus? When he talks about our finances, he says you can't serve God and money. Like you, you, there's one master, either him or not him. There's not like a duality here. You cannot serve both God and money. So either Jesus is the Lord of your wallet or he's not. 
I say that in love. Trust me, ministry is one of those things, guys, where, and I think some of you guys in your, in your, um, in your vocations can resonate with this, ministry is one of those things where there's never enough money. There's never enough money. Unless Jesus is my Lord and then there's plenty. The list could go on and on. We could talk about if we're going to trust him and follow him, what's more risky or not. There's a bunch of different things. So every disciple of Jesus has to answer this question. What's more risky? Trusting him and following him or not? Is it more risky to follow him or not to? And listen to me, it's an indicator. Your, your answer to that question in all these different areas of life, it's an indicator of what you truly believe. And notice, Jesus said, I'm gl-, he's talking to his disciples, which hopefully we're all disciples of Jesus in this room as well. He says this, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may what? Believe. So we're starting to see a glimpse of why Jesus delayed. It didn't make sense to me at first. We're starting to see a glimpse of why he delayed, okay? And here's why I want you to notice something. It's not until Lazarus is dead, he's already died, that Jesus says, okay, now's the time to go to him. Uh, Brian Chappell, he's, a, he's like a pastor and a theologian and a Bible commentator. He says this about this passage. He says, Check this out. Jesus delayed coming to his beloved friends, Lazarus, Mary, Martha. He delayed in coming to his beloved friends until he was certain Lazarus was dead. (laughs) Like, just let that settle for a second. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Okay, so he's, Lazarus is dead for four days. Verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, so she would have had to hear from somebody, right? She heard that Jesus was coming. She went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Mary said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's thinking, you know, the Jews even believe that the resurrection of the last day, there's going to be a time when everyone's resurrected and has to stand before God, right? Uh, verse 25. So she's thinking way down the line. She's thinking later, right? Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? There's that word again, believe. Do you believe this? Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah. That's like the Savior, the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back, so she goes back to the house and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So, really quickly, Martha, she's unhappy with God's timing. She's unhappy with his timing, okay? And what happens is, like she even says, she goes, Martha, she says, she believes in Jesus. You're you're the Messiah. But if you would have been here, So she acknowledges that Jesus is who he says he is, but she's not happy with his timing. 
If you'd have been here, if you would have come when I asked you to, if you'd have done things in my timing, my brother wouldn't have died. So in other words, you're too late, Jesus. He's gone. Now, remember, I asked you to keep something in your pocket. Do you remember what Jesus' original reply to, reply to his message about Lazarus being sick was? He says, the Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. It's for the glory of God. And then he says that he waited two more days. So listen, Lazarus would have certainly been dead by then, right? You with me? Lazarus would have certainly been dead by, by that time. And his message of this thing will not end in death, it's for the glory of God. His message would have had plenty of time to, gotten, to get him back to, to Martha and Mary. But Martha believes that the story is over. Let's keep reading, verse 28. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So think like outskirts of town, right? He's not trying to make a commotion. He's sending for them and they're coming to see him. Verse 31, the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? It's the same thing her sister said, right? Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Verse 34, where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Verse 35, famous verse, right? Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, so you have this sandwich, deeply moved and troubled in his spirit, weeping, and then deeply moved again, okay? So then, de- then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it, okay? So you guys know about tombs back in the ancient days, right? Big cave with a stone in front of it so that the dead stay there kind of thing. So really quickly, notice it talks about him being deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. Did you catch that? I'm not an expert in Greek, but I've studied this quite a bit. That word is, is hard for Bible translators to translate. It's originally written in Greek. That word there for deeply moved and troubled, um, it's a Greek word, and it's only used three times in the entire New Testament. That same word, okay? Every time it's used, the other three times, it's associated with a stern charge, and it's almost this idea of, like, being angry. Uh, It's funny, like, the traditional Greek, they would have used that word to describe, like, the snorting of a horse, so like, like anger, like, like almost like an involuntary response that's stern and so it's, kind of, it's hard to translate that effectively into English, okay? But either way, basically what it means is to have an intense feeling emotionally. 
So you have this sandwich, right? You have the deeply moved and troubled in the spirit, weeping, and then deeply moved again, and he goes into the tomb. I want you to see this picture. And also, I want you to think about the implications this has on what God's like. Like, John's gospel is explicit that the word became flesh, that God put on flesh. So part of, part of Jesus' mission is to demonstrate what God is like in a way that humans understand how by him becoming a human himself. So think about the implications this, this has on what God is like. Dare I say, God has emotional responses. That's going to offend some of you. So, Jesus, he's clearly emotionally upset here. There's no way of getting around it. Deeply moved and troubled in his spirit, weeping, and then deeply moved and troubled in his spirit again. Why? Why is he so upset emotionally? Let's keep reading. Verse 39. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, we know that, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. So Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Pause really quick. So more of the same from Martha. Okay, more of the same. More of her unbelief. God in the flesh is there. He said, hey, this is not going to end in death. Maybe it goes through death, maybe. It's not going to end in death. It's for the glory of God. Move the stone. And what does she say? Jesus, he's been dead for four days. Like, ah, clearly unbelief there for her, right? And here's another thing that's cool here. We know that Jesus' original message got back to them because he says it here. He says so. He says, didn't I tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. He referenced the glory of God all the way back. I think it's verse five. When he says, this won't end in death, it's for what? It's for the glory of God. Um, I remember when, I remember when God like made it very clear that he was calling me and my family to come back to Temecula to plant the church. And it was kind of this up and down season because we knew that God was stirring something, but we weren't sure on what it was and praying and fasting and, and seeking counsel and, and in community and with other pastors and leaders. And it became abundantly clear, like not just in our spirit and in our, in our hearts, but amongst the people that we know and love and trust that have ears to hear from God, that God was doing something. He was calling us to come back here. And it was funny because when we got that initial like, okay, this is what he's saying, Dude, so filled with faith. Because this has been kind of, at this point in our lives, or at that point in our lives, it had been a pattern. God had spoken and, and then given us faith to do somewhat radical things. Planting churches is gnarly. It's hard, but it's incredible. It's beautiful. I'm not complaining in any way, shape, or form. But it's, it's, it's difficult. But then, we had that, that, this is the third church plant for our family in like, in like six, seven years or whatever it is. But the reason I share that is because we, at that point, this is the third one, there was a pattern established a pattern of God speaking, not just to us in isolation, but in general, God speaking, it being clarified and then giving us faith, which is trust, to obey him and to do it. And I remember when we moved here, uh, the plan was this. The plan was we, we had to be out of our house in San Diego on the 31st of May. Okay, so um, kind of like middle of April, we started seriously looking for places to live up here. 
right? Like all, like multiple times a day coming up, trying to find a house to rent, the whole thing, okay? So fast forward, we're six weeks into that process. Some of you guys have heard this story, many of you have. Six weeks into that process of just trying to find a place to rent. Nothing. We, apl- we applied for over 20 houses. None of them. It was, so then at that point, we had to be out of our house. So what do we do? So we move in with my folks for, was it three weeks? Ended up being three weeks we're there. And so for over two months, we do not have a place to live other than them being gracious and letting us be in their house. And I remember I started to be like, where are you? You told us to come here. You clarified it through a bunch of different people. What are you doing? We need a place to live, God. We're a family of four. We can't stay in a bedroom in, our, in my, my folks' house forever. Where are you at? Denial after denial after denial with rentals. Not because our credit's not there, not because we don't have proof of income, not because of any of that. It didn't make any sense to us. <clears throat> and it was interesting because then we finally got the call that we got the house that we live in now. And remember how I talked about a pattern? God speaking, then giving us faith to obey it. One of the patterns for us in ministry is on that journey of just trying to listen to him. God, what are you saying? What are you doing? How are you leading? And then with as much faith as he possibly, that he gives us, we, we want to obey that. In that pattern of life, one of the things that's happened for us in ministry Money is always tight, always. It's always like, what's going to happen here? But he's always taking care of our housing. Like we've lived in homes that were significantly under market value. The first uh, apartment in San Diego, we paid, this was, this was eight, or eight years ago or something, we paid $1,495 for a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath, that apartment should have been double. So yeah, you, you, maybe my paycheck isn't big, but God has a way of providing for us, right, in different ways. I'm sure many of you guys have stories like this, I'm sure. First, that was fine. The second house, same thing. This couple found out that we were church planters and pastors, and they're like, hey, we have this investment property. Do you guys want to lease it out? Six, $700 less per month than what they could have got for it. Easy, Okay. So that's been the history. And I'm worked up going, God, where are you? Come on, like, prove yourself. Like, you told us to come here. All the while, in his perfect timing, he's preparing the house for that we live in now. Many of you guys have been in our home. We pay way less than we should for our house. It's awesome. And the cool thing is, is when Evan and I were coming up here, praying through places that, like, like just praying over the city before we had moved up here, we literally, we didn't realize it until we moved in. We literally were driving on the, st- the street that we live in now. We were driving, asking God to live in that neighborhood. And that was the, the thoroughfare, like the street that we were driving up and down as we were praying and asking him for that. So in God, in his, in his love for us and provision for us, not understanding his timing, but in his perfect timing, what's he gonna do? Is he, to answer our prayers, to live where we ask him to live, is he gonna kick someone out so that we can move in on, on our timetable? No, he's gonna go, okay. I need to get things in motion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to answer your prayer, yes. I'm going to get things in motion. That's going to take a certain amount of time. God's timing doesn't always make sense to us, guys. It doesn't always make sense. 
I was frustrated with God on the timing, but I'm so, look, this side of it, I'm so grateful and I can see what he was doing. You with me? Does this make sense? Okay. So, So why is Jesus so upset? Guys, Jesus isn't upset that Lazarus died. Like, he's gonna, spoiler alert, he's gonna go raise him from the dead. Jesus is upset because the people that he loved, they believed their circumstances more than they believed him. as though their circumstances were the Lord of their life and not him. And guys, look at the effect that it had on them. Like they're devastated. And rightfully, like I get why, right? It's a, they lost their brother. But they're devastated and they didn't need to be. If Jesus isn't who he says he is, yeah, for sure they need to be. They're devastated and they didn't need to be. Here's my question. Do you see any parallels in your life in this season? Do you see any parallels in your life? Do you find yourself being devastated? Do you find yourself afraid or anxious? Or maybe you're angry because of your circumstances. Jesus is like, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? You'd see the glory of God. Are you in a season where you're devastated or afraid or anxious or angry? Is there a didn't I tell you for you this morning? Are you devastated or afraid or anxious or angry and you don't need to be? Is God like, didn't I, wait, didn't I tell you? Like, didn't I tell you I'd never leave you or forsake you? Didn't I tell you nothing in all of creation can separate you from my love? Nothing. Didn't I tell you I'm with you always? Didn't I tell you that no one will snatch you from my hand? Didn't I tell you, like, if you seek first my kingdom, I'll take care of all the rest of the stuff. What you need, I'll take care of what you need. Just seek first my kingdom, which is basically seeking first living under God's kingship, his lordship, doing things his way. Didn't I tell you? Do you know the promises of God? Like, do you know them? God never says, well, I don't want to say never, but frankly, when God speaks, it happens. Genesis 1, he spoke things into existence. There's never been a time when God says something and it doesn't carry out the way that he wants it to. Ever in the history of all things. Ever. Okay, so, therefore, Do you know these promises? They're all throughout the scripture. If you don't know them, I highly encourage you. Pick up the Bible, check it out. It's wonderful. It's filled with these things of God, what he says. A lot of it. Do you know these promises, the didn't I tell you's? Some of you, and it's totally fine. Some of you genuinely are ignorant. You don't know. That's great. That's why God in his grace and his love is like, hey, I'm I'm revealing myself to you. That's why our church fathers, all the way even back to like, to Moses, wrote this stuff down so that we wouldn't be ignorant to who God is and what he's done. The didn't I tell you's. Pray, read the Bible, listen to me. 
This is just a pastoral appeal to take the word of God into your heart so that when you're faced with the circumstances of life, they don't have more power over you than he does. Because if they do, guess who your king is? Cruel king. Versus the good king. God always keeps his words, friends. And listen, this story, it tells us, like God cares about how you act in response. It matters to him. So Jesus was deeply moved and he wept because the people he loved, they were devastated and they didn't need to be. Why? Because the didn't I tell you's were dismissed. That's a lot of D's. That's good preaching. That's alliteration. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But do you guys see this? That's why Jesus is so worked up. Because the people he loved were devastated. They didn't need to be because they dismissed his didn't I tell you's. Keep going, we're almost done. Verse 41. So they removed the stone, again, and the tomb, right? Lazarus' tomb, he's been there dead for four days. They removed the stone after Jesus tells them to. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. Verse 43, after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, verse 45, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Okay. Can we just marvel for just a second? If this story is true, I believe with all of my being it is. If this story is true, Jesus just brought a guy back from the dead in front of a bunch of people. Listen, God's timing It always serves a purpose. Always. Whether we see it, whether we don't, it always serves a purpose. In this case, what was it? It was to replace unbelief in their hearts with belief. All the the characters in this story exhibiting unbelief. All of them. Okay? He wanted to replace their unbelief with belief. He wanted the, like, because the, the, the didn't I tell you's were dismissed, right? So you have Mary and Martha not believing. You have the disciples not believing. You have the other Jews here, like, what this, certainly this guy, if he really loved him, he would have risen from, he could have done this before, he get the guy, he healed the blind man, all that stuff. Mary, Martha, the disciples, other Jews, look back at verse 15. Uh, he's talking to his disciples here, this is the words of Jesus. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Okay, agenda. Verse 40, he's talking to Martha. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Again, his agenda, belief. Verse 42, he's praying out loud in front of the whole crowd. Mary, Martha, Lazarus is dead, but all the Jews, the disciples, all these people, verse 42, he's praying out loud. I know that you always hear me. He's talking to his father. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that you may believe. 
his agenda. Clearly on display, guys. Listen to me. God's timing always has a purpose. So, if you find yourself in a similar place as these disciples did, as these people did in the story, a similar place, frustrated, upset, God's timing, when's it going to be fall? If you find yourself in that space with big things, with little things, listen to me, that's a clear indicator that God is working on you in the very same way that he's working on these people. To replace unbelief with belief. It's more than just acknowledging he's true. Martha acknowledged that he was the Messiah. His agenda, to replace unbelief with belief. But how does he do that? How does he do that? That's a pretty spectacular thing, to replace unbelief with belief. How does he do that? One word. Grace. Grace. Think about it. He raises Lazarus from the dead despite no one believing he's going to do it after he tells him he's going to do it. So there's this just cluster of unbelief. And he does it anyway. That's grace. Grace isn't, we talk about this a lot. Grace is not leniency. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. The analogy that we use oftentimes is like, you're late on your rent. Leniency is your landlord going, hey, just pay me the money when you can. Grace is, I want you to have the house. It's getting what you don't deserve. That's grace. These people, none of them, believed Jesus' words. Hey, this is not going to end in death. This sickness is not going to end in death. It's for the glory of God. It's so the Son of Man can be glorified. And none of them believed him, and he did it anyway. He could have been like, okay, you didn't believe. You guys really missed out, man. I was going to do something rad. Jesus' gracious act, it inspired belief in people, in the whole group. And listen to me, what does that tell us? God cares more about their belief than he does even their comfort. Let that sink in for a little bit. If you're like me and all you want to do is be comfortable in life, that's idolatry. I, I worship comfort. I ascribe more worth to being comfortable. He cares more about their belief than he does their comfort. When we talk about belief, that's this biblical concept. I don't have a ton of time to get into it. Belief, trust, and faith, those things are married. It's trusting him. It's not just, like it's believing something so much that it, it, it influences your behavior. Therefore, you must trust in it. You with me? Okay, belief, faith, trust. And think about this. Back in verse five, I know I've already said this, but I want to bring this back to your attention. We're almost done. Back in verse five, it says that he delayed. Why? Because he loved them. He delayed because he loved them. All of them. Not just Lazarus. So guys, do you see Jesus' agenda? All along, it was to inspire belief in himself among the people he loved. His, his gracious act, it inspired belief. It replaced unbelief with belief. And listen to me, it's the most loving thing he could have possibly done. It's the, it's the most loving thing he possibly done because it's that belief, that, 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 that faith, that trust, that's what reconciles a sinner to Almighty God. It's too far gone. Like we've already, we've already jacked up the relationship. We've already severed it through sin, through rejecting him. 
The only thing that's going to bring that back is through is grace, through faith. It's this act of trusting that God has done what he said he was going to do. And listen to me, God's grace is what inspires faith and that's what enables relationship. And it's what ushers a person into the kingdom of God. Listen, if we're going to live with God as king, that means we do things his way. We have to believe what he says. (laughs) When he says, forgive even your enemy, like we have to believe him in that if he's going to be our king. Or listen, or we can pretend. For me, for one, I can't do it. I cannot be like, okay, Jesus, you can have this part of my life, but this you can't. Like I'm I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm forfeiting my relationship with him when I do that. Not because he's done anything wrong, but because I'm saying, no, I'm rejecting you as king. That's the story of humanity going all the way back to the fall. Think about your life. This is a genuine loving appeal. Think about your life and think about the, the areas of your life that are off limits to his lordship. You're not hurting anybody but yourself. He's trying, he, I'm gonna get into this in a second. Let's do this. Band, come on. Love you guys. I don't want to get too worked up here, but there's, there's gold here, guys. There's gold and there's power here. Take a drink. I'm going to calm down. Thank you for your grace. You guys are really patient with me oftentimes. It means a lot. Thank you. You're really gracious with me. I don't deserve it. So, Jesus' gracious act, raising Lazarus from the dead, why? To inspire belief, to replace unbelief amongst all his people. Now listen, as amazing as that act of grace was, there's an even greater act of grace coming in this story. And you know what it is. Jesus' own death. Jesus' own resurrection. And listen, like, God coming to earth to live the perfect life in your place that you and I never could. And then him knowing, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to lay my life down as the sacrifice in your place. So living the life that, 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 that we never could and then dying the death that we deserve to die, him doing that in our place, it's grace. We don't deserve that. God would have been loving and just going, okay, You guys screwed it up. You rejected me. If you want to reject me, you can. But he doesn't stop there. It's grace. So why does he go to the cross? Like why such a gracious act of love? For the same reason he did it here. To replace unbelief with belief. So that we would believe what God says even more than our circumstances. Some of you, the circumstances in your life say some really bleak things. Who gets the final word? Who do you believe? Because listen, if we believe what God says more than we believe our circumstances, hear me say this, that's freedom. Freedom. This place is jacked up. We can make a laundry list of how we're not happy with the way the world is. 
and it, it could go on forever. Like, we can be free from the bondage, the brokenness, the ugliness of, of the reality of this planet until heaven comes. We can be free from that. Like, guys, that's the good life. Culture will tell you the good life is if you own more, if you have more, if you look younger, if you fill in the blank. That's the good life. More. And Jesus is saying, no. No, it's not. Guys, if we believe what God says above and beyond our circumstances, that's freedom, that's the good life, that's the kingdom of heaven. Sin, fear, death, guess what? It loses its power over you. If God has the final say, all that stuff isn't as powerful. You don't have to bow down emotionally to it. You don't have to be devastated when you don't need to be. That's what it looks like to live as God as king. So, God's timing, we all on the same page here, God's timing does not always make sense. Amen? Yes, his timing does not always make sense, but listen to me, he's never late. He is never late. But he's always loving. Always. So if you find yourself in a season, you're like, I feel like, God, where are you? Don't believe the lie. He's never late. He's loving you, you just don't see it. One more thing. There's a lot here, man. Do you see like the gracious act? It was in motion from the very beginning. They didn't see it. But like his agenda, it just needed to play out. It's kind of like us living in the house that we're in. Two years before we moved there, we're praying on that street and God says, yeah, I'm gonna answer your prayer and he's getting things in order for us. It just had to play out. Like it was set in motion. God's gracious act in the story, it was already set in motion, they just didn't see it. So listen, this truth that he's never late but he's always loving, it has the power to transform your life. If you believe it, if you believe God's never late but he's always loving, if that's something that you actually believe and has the power to transform your life from disappointment, God's too late, to gratitude and excitement, like something amazing that I don't deserve is coming because God's gracious and he loves me. He's never late. He's always loving. If you find yourself disappointed because you're, you're, God, where are you? You're late. Can I just give you the truth? Can I just put the truth in front of you? He's never late. He's always loving. He delayed because he loved them. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Maybe this morning you find yourself like Mary and Martha. Maybe you can identify with them. You're unhappy with God's timing in some area of your life. The season isn't changing fast enough. You're unhappy with God's timing. Maybe you're dismissing the didn't I tell you's. You're missing the gracious acts of love. Guys, there's so many. He didn't just lay down his life. We have air in our lungs. We woke up this morning. And listen, like, Jesus was, Jesus was gonna raise Lazarus no matter what. He said so. In the beginning of the story, I'm, this is not gonna end in death. So he was gonna do that no matter what. Listen, Mary and Martha, so devastated they didn't need to be. Here's a question for you. Maybe you identify with Mary and Martha. What has God said 
that if you believed it, would change how you experience life. I'm going to say that again. Listen up. What has God said that if you believed it, it would change how you experience life, especially when the circumstances are crummy? Maybe it's not like Mary and Martha for you. Maybe it's more like Lazarus. Like something in you is either dead or dying. It lacks life. And you can't, you can't change it yourself. You can't resurrect it yourself. You need a savior. You need someone to restore life back in you. In that area, the Holy Spirit, I can look at it. The Holy Spirit's highlighting some things for you right now. Um, will you stand if you're able? I want to pray for us. If you're on the ministry team this morning, I'm going to ask you to come stand over here. <clears throat> if anything that we see in this passage resonates with you, my appeal to you every Sunday, let God continue ministry in your heart and in your, in, your, in your life through these gracious men and women who are making themselves available to pray. I'm literally gonna have Herrick pray for me right now. This whole room needs, needs God's intervention in real ways, okay? If anything I've said resonates with you, they're available. The band's gonna lead us in a time of response. I'm gonna pray for us really quickly, but hear me say this. There's freedom for us, guys. We do not have to be people who live devastated, anxious, fearful, afraid lives. We don't have to live ignorant lives, not aware of what God has said. We get to be informed by the God of the universe who is almighty, who is the highest authority. And he loves us. And his timing is perfect. Let's pray. Spirit of God, would you speak to us, please? Jesus is, there's two things that stick out to me. Jesus' patience in this story and his power. His patience with us and his power over our unbelief. I pray for every heart this morning that they would know that God's patient with them. And he's powerful. He's powerful to raise the dead. powerful to empower us to live a different kind of life we're not held hostage by our circumstances but there's something greater there's a greater king and he invites us over and over again to live in his kingdom that's the good life doing things his way so would you lead us as men and women who want to follow you I pray for anybody in the room who's resistant this morning Holy Spirit, I pray for radical acts of your grace in their life to replace unbelief with belief. It's what you do. It's what you're like. So free us all. We love you, Jesus. We look to you now and say thank you. We want to praise you. Amen.